BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman, and I really am excited to talk to you about nutrition and health and well-being with regard to both ourselves as the caregivers and our children. And what I wanted to do today, especially because we're a year into this pandemic and a lot of people have concerns about what's going on with their children's body, their eating habits, their sense of intuition and intuitive eating and what all of that means. So I've asked Dr. Will Cole, who's a leading functional medicine expert, to have a conversation with us about all of these underlying factors that can really promote healthy ideas about eating, chronic disease prevention, and well-being. Dr. Cole is a functional medicine practitioner and a doctor of natural medicine and a doctor of chiropractic. So all of these things come together with a focus on clinical nutrition as well. And so this lens is completely different than what you might hear from a pediatrician or what you might hear from standard care physicians. This is really a lens of functional medicine, which is really interesting and top of mind for a lot of people right now. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, and write a little review if it's positive. And I look forward to hearing from you on Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast on DM, and I can answer listener questions. Today, at the end of this episode, we're going to answer listener questions related to children and nutrition. So I have two directions that I want to go in today. One is to talk about the health of the caregiver because we know how important that is. Yeah. Both you need your health to take care of the children, but also mm-hmm. we're modeling this wellness and health. Mm-hmm. So in that there's there's nothing more powerful than that. I'm just I'm wondering also this other route that I want to go down which is you have children at, from from birth on. What are those points where you made decisions in thinking about well, what happens later? What can I avoid later? Mm-hmm. Now we can't avoid DNA, genetics, and things that are happening no matter what. But what are those environmental factors that go into the patients that you see later in life? What happened in early childhood that you think, you know what? Let's let's have mealtime structured like this. When we want a dessert, let's talk about it like this. So that's the other place I want to go to today. That's really important, especially because during this pandemic, 
I've had so many people ask about their own eating habits, influencing their kids, about snacks, about portions, about kids, just kind of everybody going off the rails. And how do we come back without becoming extreme and obsessive? Yeah. That's all. Yeah, that's all. I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is like really things I think of. It keeps me up at night sometimes, which isn't good. But I, I wake up thinking about it. I think about it 10 hours a day consulting patients online. So it's how do you get somebody healthy? How do you improve their quality of life? Giving them tools to have agency over their health, but doing it in a way that's sustainable, that's enjoyable, that's pragmatic, that's just realistic. So Hmm. it's always that balancing act, right? And it depends on the person you're talking to as well. Like what is their vessel to even contain this information that they need to do or would be the most ideal? Because the different seasons of your life, maybe you just can take on five of the tools that we're talking about for maybe next person, they're fully ready. And they've had that aha moment to say, no, this is serious. So oftentimes it's not just the information, but it's the, where are you at in your life to even receive it? Yes. And my, here's where I would, I would say today, the lens to look at today is people have so much need for this, but so little energy left Mm -hmm. and so much heightened stress and have been in a state of getting, it's getting pretty chronic, the stress. So given that space, what are those small changes and shifts that really can make a difference? Yeah. Especially because they're not seeing you and getting blood work and all of those things. Yeah. But, but also what are those things that set the tone for modeling for kids? Sure. All of this is predicated on like something you mentioned, like to not go down the road of obsession or dogma or being uh, punitive or restrictive, that is the antithesis of sustainable wellness. So something that we talk a lot about with our patients and I talk a lot about in books when I write them is that you can't heal a body you hate. You cannot shame your way into wellness. You cannot obsess your way into health and you think you can. And you may push, grit your teeth and do some four weeks of this or three weeks of that. But look, if if it's not born out of self-respect, it's going to be short-lived. It's, you're going to add to your pile of things that you did for a little bit that maybe helped you a little bit, but it's going to be short-lived. That's not what my focus is. My focus is how do we integrate feeling great into your life? Because that's encouraging when you start feeling better. And it's going to be an outpouring when you have more energy, you have more to give, your cup's less overflowing, you have more capacity to do more things. So you just have to start off with the little things sometimes to lean into it, to get your head above water. And then that's a self-fulfilling prophecy in many ways. So it doesn't happen overnight, but you know, we all have our capacity to handle things. Some people have massive, like I always use the mug analogy. Some people have massive mugs, some people have smaller mugs. On a physiological level, some people, they're overflowing because of mental, emotional stress, past traumas, and then all the physical stuff too, that's impacting inflammation and how the brain works, et cetera. So we have to just sometimes just empty the mug a little bit to then start being able to handle more stuff and you gain resilience when you do that. So the reality is here, look, you have to teach kids and you have to make it age appropriate, but you have to start with yourself. It doesn't mean you have it all figured out. So give yourself grace, but you have to start with yourself. You have to start with saying, I need to be the best version of myself. At least start that process and modeling because you know this, but we as parents teach the most when we're not speaking and just how we're living our life. 
And that doesn't mean we all fail. Every day is a new day and a new opportunity. I, even in my field, I can look back at my 14 and 11 year old and I say, I wish I could have done things differently. We all wish we could do things differently. There's no shame in that, but when, hopefully when you know better, you do better, like Maya Angelou said. So I, I, I want to say that for all parents, it's, it's okay. We can start fresh today, do the best we can with where we're at, with the access we have, what's within our budget and do the things we can do. And I've found that you don't have to be perfect to make some amazing changes in your family's life and in your life. So I would start with the ethos and the mindset of why you're even doing these things of not like, these are the things we can't have and this is bad and this is good, but like, how can we love our body enough to do things that make us feel good? And avoiding things that make you feel lousy isn't restrictive. It's actually an act of self-respect. And it's that paradigm shift that we start to cultivate for ourselves, but we also start to teach our kids to say, look, it's not that you can't have those foods. Ultimately, we can eat whatever we like, but we want to feel better more than we think we missed something that made us feel really lousy. So that's the paradigm shift that I would start with anybody because that that paradigm shift is the genesis of sustainable wellness. Cause it's not the list of do's and don'ts. It's like, no, I love feeling great more than I miss something that made me feel lousy. And then it doesn't mean you'll be perfect, but it'll be a center that you'll fall back on. And you can pivot from that center when you feel so great, you don't want to trade it in for anything less. I love that, especially because we'll think about your kids' ages, which are the same as my kids' ages, yeah. this is right when that restructuring of the adolescent brain is happening. And so you can put that paradigm in there and it will be so much more usable yeah. <laughs> than totally. ever. So how, if you, if you make that paradigm shift in your mind and you're trying to make it operationalized at the dinner table, for example. So how many of us have said, have a few more bites of broccoli before you have dessert? Or, you know, even just talking about how much food you're eating, period. What's a dinner table, what's a healthy dinner table setup like and conversation like? Well, I think also too, we all know our kids as parents and the different ages are going to determine different things as well, especially if you're doing things one way and then change it overnight. Mm -hmm. uh, that's going to be a shift for some kids and they may recoil and be like, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> so I would get them, you have to know your child and how they receive information and their love language and all that stuff, right? So all of this should be predicated on knowing your kid first. But I would say that, you know, it's okay to change things overnight for the better. It's also okay to lean into it as long as you're progressing um, and not staying the same out of fear or fear of um, them rebelling against it or hating it or causing more fights in the home. But I would say bring them along and empower them instead of it being like, this is what we're doing and this is that. Get them, make it age appropriate, but educate them and inform them and empower them on these are the things that are good for us. These are the things that aren't gonna, are not gonna make us feel so good. And every kid has their own resilience capacity. That doesn't mean that they have to do everything exactly like you're doing, but they can do more of that good stuff. Maybe you are doing 100% because you wanna feel great and you're going through health issues. Maybe your kids along the ride, they're doing mostly what you're doing, but they have the freedom to do some other things that maybe 
you're not doing. So that's a good reminder too, is that they may go to their friend's house or be at school and not do what you do at home, but at home, this is what we're doing. And it's also important too, to make it delicious and fun. So like you say, like the broccoli, the three bites of broccoli, that's fine to do that. Of course, broccoli is great for you, but what sort of recipes and ideas can you bring in there's so many cool alternatives in the age that we live in now where it's not like the old days, like when in the eighties and nineties, when I was growing up, the health food store had nothing. I mean, it was basically, it was very limited. Now there's so many healthier alternatives that may not even be health foods, but it's like a couple levels up with better quality ingredients that won't be so horrible to the human physiology. It won't impact you in such a negative way. So bring more of those in um, based on what you can. And it, some people are like, well, it costs more. Sometimes it does cost more, but if you're smart of where you're going to shop, it doesn't have to be. I mean, I'm used to people on that have a budget uh, that they're trying to do this on a budget. So you can go to Aldi and Costco and Walmart and Target. They have a lot of health food options that are better alternatives. You don't have to go shop at the most expensive place for everything. Maybe it's getting some things here and some things there and some things there. Get your kids involved in the cooking process too. Like get them in the kitchen, get them aware of what this stuff is so they can have some agency over this. And it's not this thing that they're just being served. They can get involved in the process and be creative with you. And maybe go through some healthy cookbooks and say, what would you like out of this? Let's try it together. Um, I do that with my kids with, uh, with meals too, where they'll pick some things that they like and then they're in charge. I mean, they're at the age where they can do that, but they, even if they're younger, they could do something to help help. Participate. Yeah. Participate age appropriately. Um, and then what it looks like is just more foods from the earth is really, if you want to keep it really simple, it's, Lots of different variety of produce. You can cook them down if you're dealing with digestive problems. I find that a lot of raw vegetables don't work for a lot of people, especially women that are struggling with GI issues. So soups and stews, uh, sauteed vegetables, lots of healthy fats from things like avocados and olives and extra virgin olive oil, wild caught fish, grass fed beef, and you can do that. I mean, a really clean, mostly plant-based, but omnivore friendly uh, forward approach. I think that that's what we need to focus on all the things we can have. And then how, we, how do we make them delicious with sweetening things with honey and maple syrup and even like monk fruit, some lower carbs, natural sweeteners, and just do swaps. Like instead of having like the pasta noodles, maybe try zoodles and do zucchini noodles. And, you know, instead of breading things with regular wheat bread, maybe get almond flour and, and, and do breaded things with almond flour over regular wheat. There's alternatives for just about everything. So with younger children, so I want to go earlier because I'm thinking about planting these seeds as just a way of life instead of having to re overhaul everything later yeah. in life. If you're at home and you're you know, engaging your toddler, even in preparing meals or setting the table, which is possible, even though it doesn't sound like it, um, and more fun at the time. One of the things that I think tends to happen is when kids don't want to eat something, people feel like I don't want them to be so hungry. So now I need to just keep on putting the same thing that they always eat. They want pasta with butter. I hear that a lot. Yeah. And that goes on for years and years. And what is one way of breaking that cycle? Well, I would, again, my son's I, is a good example. My son is 
naturally like came since he was a little baby was way pickier than my daughter was Mm -hmm. Um, for every kid has their own sensory like things that they're going through. So, you know, I, I would say start off incrementally having them try things. I mean, when they're little hiding things, uh, you know, hiding different healthy stuff within things that they like. So we would puree vegetables in the pasta sauce. Uh, so it would be not something that they would, and you could start off with a low amount and then slowly increase just to bring some of it into their life. And then also educating them. And I'll tell you what, as using my son as an example, um, who's 14 now, like we, found the things that they he did like that were super healthy, even if that list was small of just being consistent with that. And then as he got older, we could have a bigger conversation about age appropriately, what this food is doing for you. Like these are the, the good things that it's doing for you. This is all the great stuff you can try, giving him uh, delicious alternatives for these things. And his capacity to bring more things on evolved and grew over time. It didn't happen overnight. And I'm sure there were, like I said, I, I could go back and I probably would have done some things differently. We probably moved a little bit slower than, than we needed to. Um, but it was like, all right, that's what we did with the information we had at that time. And it, we were happy. We were, he was, we were giving him better alternatives for all these things. Um, he was always gluten-free, which doesn't not automatically make things healthy. I know that, but he was always gluten-free. Um, but you know, even with the vegetables and things he didn't love, it evolved over time. So now he's having way more at 14 than he did when he was younger. Mm -hmm. So if you put familiar things on the plate alongside the new stuff so that, you know, Mm -hmm. there's something that they like, eventually that window expands of the things Mm -hmm. that they're actually willing to eat. Yeah. Right. And it's sort of how I think of it, but sometimes that, I don't know if that's the you know, because I'm so curious and I want to get to intuitive eating. I'm so curious how you create an intuitive eater in that context of still having like an adult semi-controlling your intake. Because Mm -hmm. even if we say it's family style and you put a little bit of every color on your plate and, you know, we're still, we, we, our kids are asking us when they can get a snack or they're finding, there's still some adult control over some Mm -hmm. things. And I, really think it would be so healthy to create and cultivate intuition in yeah. habits and young children. Yeah. I think it's ultimately, and I know this is definitely a 180 for many families is realizing that it, you can have all these healthy alternatives in the house. And if there's only decent things to great things in the house, even the worst thing that they pick or they ask for won't be that bad. So I would really advocate for people to really consider doing an overhaul of the options in the house. So it's not like off the wagon, on the wagon in the house. It's just Mm -hmm. like, no, these are the things that we do as a family and you're going to have delicious snack options, but it's not going to be the completely conventional junk stuff. It's going to be a little bit better. uh, And that's what we're going to do. My my niece is a toddler right now. And she's a good example. Like I just look at my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law and the things they have in the house. It's like, all good stuff. So when she asks for those things, and invariably she obviously asks for the blueberries and the, and the healthy, right. really healthy stuff. But even when she doesn't, even when she's having that random lollipop, it's still like the fruit juice sweetened lollipop, not yeah. like the complete junk food. So I would just say, don't have it be this thing that maybe you or your spouse are like doing this really bad stuff because your kids are going to go for that probably because it's kind of a designer food to be addictive and to be always to be the one 
that's designed to be the most compulsively going towards. So I think overall, just overhauling the choices in the home is a good start. And then what I was going to say too, is my son, to get things in a lot sometimes when he was younger is uh, smoothies. Because at least yeah. it's like something sweet, but you can put the greens in there. You can put tons of cool things in there. They don't even know it. It's <laughs> just a smoothie. So I, yeah. he oftentimes he drank his his healthy stuff in, in the early days. Yeah, you can. I always told my kids, like, when you get a smoothie, just throw in kale. I don't care yeah. what else is in it. I just want to know. That yeah, just kale. getting some of it in, even if you're drinking it and not chewing it. So along those lines, because I think this is really interesting, the kids who go to other people's houses and say, I'm not allowed to have this. I always find, I I think the idea of what you're saying is inside this house, it's pretty good. It's going to be pretty easy to navigate because whatever the bad quote unquote thing you're going towards is, is not bad. When you leave the house, who can, you know, it's like, you can't control anything. And I think if you have that flexibility, then kids Mm -hmm. don't feel so, extreme and maybe they can count on their own. Well, how did this make me feel compared to how I normally feel? And maybe point out how their tummy feels if they're like, oh, that didn't sit right. Totally. And you use that as a learning experience. And I talk about this in intuitive fasting too for adults, but you can totally take that concept with food as a mindfulness practice for kids. And I've done that with my son over the years. That like it's like, yeah, we're gluten-free in the home and we're focusing on these foods and I mean, there's a number of reasons why I have autoimmunity on both sides of my family, the GI issues. I mean, I just, that's how we eat at home. It's just a better way to eat for us. But my son, he has gone to places over the, uh, when he was younger and he would have something with gluten in it. He would not feel good. It didn't take that many times to do that, to notice the difference, the disparity of like, I felt better doing this versus that. Now it's not that he goes to his friend's house and says, I can't have that. He just says, I'm gluten-free. Like he knows how to go to the restaurant and order things and adjust things. I mean, it's a really cool thing to see. It's not that he can't have that. He just likes feeling better. He made the choice to take care of him. That is a really cool thing to see. Yeah. Because that's going to happen with even bigger challenges over the next few years with all sorts of substances. And to be able to say like, I don't like how that sits with me is a real gift. Right. And my daughter, she has a little bit more wiggle room. So she'll make some allowances that she wouldn't do at home that she does there. And that's her choice. And it's no shame on her for doing that. So every kid's going to have their own threshold for those sort of things that they have to decide for themselves. Is this worth it or not? And if it's worth it for them, then eat it and move on. There's no shame in that. But maybe you'll eat it and you realize this wasn't worth it. And you will remember that the next time. I really want to hear about this first Just a quick word from our sponsor. Speaking of health and nutrition, our sponsors at Ancient Nutrition have one goal, to transform the health of every individual on the planet. That drives them to create whole food nutritional products made with real ingredients for real results. Every product is rooted in tradition and supported by science. Ancient Nutrition is based in traditional Chinese herbalism and Ayurveda, which are ways of eating and thinking that have survived generations, combined with today's modern research. Ancient Nutrition believes proper nutrition isn't just about eating the right foods. It's about ingredients that your body can truly use. That's why they source the world's highest quality ingredients and rigorously test them for pesticides, herbicides, and heavy metals. 
And it's why they do everything to create each product so that our bodies can easily digest and absorb things. Every one of the products has a purpose. The one I like the most is the multi-collagen protein. So if you're looking for a place to start, that one is it. You just put the multi-collagen protein into your coffee. It's totally odorless and tasteless. Just stir it into your coffee, unflavored, dissolves right away. And it can help revitalize your joints, skin, and hair. So go to ancientnutrition.com and use the code HUMANS, H-U-M-A-N-S, for 20% off your first Ancient Nutrition purchase. If you are looking to revitalize your joints, skin, and hair, do it with clinically studied ingredients. Use the code HUMANS for 20% off at store.drax.com. As pet parents, working from home has given us more time to spend with our four-legged family members. Now we're more aware of their daily needs, their health issues, and their well-being. So if you've noticed that your pet is itchy or smells a little less pleasant, you have to try Scout's Honor. I have a little pup named Beatrice. So Scout's Honor is my go-to pet brand for grooming products that help with itch relief, odor control, and an overall healthier skin and coat. And my Beatrice, if I may be so bold, smells delicious, looks so scrumptious, and she's much less uncomfortable. Scout's Honor's probiotic grooming products are a scientifically proven natural solution for treating your pet skin problems. And when applied to the skin, probiotics support healthy bacteria and fight against bad bacteria that causes irritation. With every purchase, Scout's Honor provides one day's worth of meals for rescue animal in needs. That's the kind of company that I love supporting because they are supporting animals and they're making my pup's life better and they're thinking about rescues and animals in need. So with Scout's Honor, your pet will never look, feel, or smell better and you're doing good. Check out all of Scout's Honor's award-winning products today available online or wherever pet supplies are sold. And to receive 20% off your first order, go to scoutshonor.com slash humans. That's scouts, S-K-O-U-T-S, scoutshonor.com slash humans for 20% off your order. Scouts Honor, natural and preventative grooming solutions for your pets. It is springtime and lots of people do spring cleaning, spring organizing, just getting our acts together. Why not start by also protecting your family with life insurance? It's so hard to talk about. It's so important to deal with. Policy Genius can help you compare top insurers in one place and save 50% or more. Once you find your best option, the Policy Genius team will set up a new policy for you, and any questions you have along the way will be answered. So here's how you get started you head to policygenius.com. And in minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need and compare quotes to find your best price. Policy Genius also makes it easy to compare policies for as little as $15 a month. You might even be eligible to skip the in-person medical exam. Since their licensed agents work for you and not the insurance companies, there's also no hassle. You just, if you hit any speed bumps during the application process, Policy Genius will take care of everything. And the best part, all of the benefits of Policy Genius, the comparison tool, the handling of the paperwork, the unbiased advice are totally free to use. So 
while you're tidying up around the house and getting yourself organized this spring, why not get your life insurance organized too? You could save 50% off or more by comparing quotes and feel good knowing that if something happens, your loved ones will be taken care of. Go to policygenius.com to get started. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's important to get it right. Jane.com is a boutique marketplace featuring the latest in women's fashion, trends, accessories, home decor, children's clothing, toys, and more. Jane.com features hundreds of new products every day, offering you everything you need to live your best, most stylish life. So every day is a sale at Jane.com. They offer a wide variety of categories and styles, so you can find something for everyone and everything in your life even your dog or cat. Over 400 new products drop daily. Everything from apparel for the whole family, home decor, toys, novelty items, kind of you name it. And if you love a good deal or you like to seize savings, definitely go to jane.com. Jane.com products only last for a limited time. So it's kind of fun. See what you can catch. And by shopping at jane.com, you support small businesses. They offer products and name brands from over 2,000 shops at great prices. So find your next discovery at jane.com slash humans. So talk to me about portion control. So a lot of times... And, and I'd love to hear how this works in intuitive eating for adults, but I'm also so curious with kids when parents are watching what they're eating and pointing out that they need to eat more of this or that, or if a child is still hungry, but only for something sweet, what are healthy phrases that we can say to ourselves and to our children to get them into that, to get them and ourselves into the mindset of intuitive eating? Yeah. And just to be clear on this, like when I wrote intuitive fasting, it really is having a mindful relationship with food and using food as a mindfulness practice and for adults using flexible intermittent fasting as a mindfulness practice too. So as you're metabolically flexible, you can go longer without meals, not because it's some restrictive punitive thing. It's just because you're more metabolically flexible. So you get the benefits, the health benefits of the flexible intermittent fasting, but you also can break the fast when you want to. And again, there's this grace and lightness to it. It's not obsessive. So that's quite different than in the nineties, there was a book called intuitive eating, mainly for people with disordered eating. And that's not what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about with intuitive fasting, it's not intuitive eating from the capital I, capital E, like for eating disorders, but it is an intuitive eating, lower I, lower E of we all have intuitions and I want people to be more mindful when they eat their foods. So with portion control, the reality is if you're eating foods that are nutrient dense, that are filled with tons of micronutrients and healthy macronutrients and polyphenols and fiber, all this amazing stuff, using food as medicine or food as nutrition I think a lot of these things are going to be regulating in and of themselves. So that's the great thing is that you don't have to be that obsessive with portion control if you're focusing on healthy things. I would just say, keep it simple for most people. I mean, a lot of my patients 
we have to get specific for therapeutic reasons for a while, um, the different macronutrients, et cetera, foods to focus on and, and looking at stuff. But for the average person that's just looking to improve their family's life, improve their life, I would focus on more portion, less of portion control, more of have more of these, have less of that, eat until satiety, eat when you're hungry. And that's really where I would go with. Because the more you do that, if you're eating nutrient-dense foods, you're really focusing on all the things you can't have. You're being mindful uh, when you are eating to stop when you are satiated. Over time, if there are hormonal signaling problems or blood sugar problems that do impact your body's ability to stop eating, that will heal over time. So people that with insulin resistance or leptin resistance or satiety signaling issues, that's not going to happen overnight. But the more you use your food as medicine, over time, this hormonal signaling issues will improve. So at that point, your regulation will be just inherent and intuitive because you physiologically built metabolic flexibility to be able to eat when you're hungry properly. The insatiable cravings will abate over time and you won't have to be so concerned about portion control. You'll just have this awareness on what your body loves, what your body hates, and this ability to adjust it accordingly, depending on the day and how you're feeling. Gosh, there were so many things that you just mentioned that I'd like to ask about. So I do want to ask about intuitive fasting in the context of trying to intuitively fast while also like sitting at meals with your children mm-hmm. before oh. I get there. Cause I really think that is so interesting. And I have actually been interested in it for me, but had that fear of, well, I don't want to promote disordered eating. Not that that's disordered eating, but mm-hmm. it feels so niche and specific mm-hmm. and it's not for them. So how can you say, look, I'm doing this for my health and well-being, it's age appropriate. And this is what I my body needs right now, which is not what your body needs right now. And that that can be something that you can do without it going into the category of like moms on a diet, which is my worst nightmare. You know, like I think a lot of mothers in particular, but parents and caregivers in general, if they're aware of the potential of disordered eating, they might go extreme on the other side of like, we're all good, nothing, I'm not going to make any comments, whatever. And so your child might be asking for a second cupcake or something at a party. And you're like, I don't want them to eat too much. I don't want them to eat too little. I don't want to say anything. I don't want self-consciousness and you get stuck. So I'm, I guess on the portion side of things to just close that off and then move to what you're talking about, about intuitive fasting and the adult and modeling for the kids, let's say they do kind of manage their own portions. I mean, I'm an example of someone who typically says, provide healthy food and don't talk about it. Like don't make yeah. comments about what you're noticing your child is eating as they get older. Yeah. But I'm also realistic and I know and have seen that when there are, you know, treats available, how are you helping kids recognize, you know, some kids are dogs when they eat and some are cats in my mind. Mm -hmm. And so like I have one dog and one cat. And so if there was a plate of cupcakes at a party, one of them would take a couple bites and move along. And the other one would probably want multiple cupcakes. If I interrupt that process, am I interrupting their intuition about healthy eating with a lower case? 
Mm, that's a really good way of putting it. I, I think, again, every kid is different and whether at dogs and cats, great analogy there. I, I think that if they're having better alternatives there, uh, I, I, I think that it will be self-regulating and some kids will have more, some kids will have less, and that's just where, it, where it's at. But I do think that you can have some measured conversation about it without it being punitive and shaming them. So I think there's a fine line with that, is that if you really are coming at it from a place of Look, and I know many parents can say things out of with good intentions and that doesn't make it okay. But I'm saying not just come with good intentions, but actually say it in a very gentle way that's age appropriate. Just just be like, hey, like let's maybe you need to film up more on this stuff so you're not so super hungry for for that stuff. So it's like though you can have those things, but if you have a lot of those things, it's not gonna make you feel that good. Like let's focus in on the, on this being your foundation, and then they'll have less capacity to like have the five mm -hmm. cupcakes when they're right. eating the good stuff. So make sure they're nourished, make sure that they're well-fed, make sure that they're eating things that will actually curb insatiable cravings. Because uh, nutrient-dense foods will do that. It'll balance your blood sugar, it'll fill you up, it'll be calorically dense, but it'll be the good stuff that fuels your body to feel great. And then maybe some kids will have more, some kids will have less at that point. But I think a lot of times, kids are just not eating enough at their meals and then they go and they want more of that stuff. Yeah, it's most human beings. So we'll have more when they're more hungry. So yeah, that's what I would say when it comes to the, the portion control and saying something that's age appropriate, that speaks to that child that you know so well without shaming them. And err on the side, I do agree, err on the side of saying less because I totally agree with that. I think most parents will say stuff with good intentions, but actually makes it a lot worse. So I would err on the side of less and living uh, as an example versus preaching to them, even with good intentions. And trust that our bodies, the way we come out, if we start on this journey, just paying attention, it's a lot easier to eat the right amounts. I don't even want to use the word right, but what, yeah. what comes things best that for make our you feel body. Good. Yeah. Things that make you feel good. I love instead of having good and bad foods, just the foods that nourish you and the, and make yeah. you feel good versus the ones that don't, I can't remember the phrase you used, but I did think it was yeah. great. Yeah, I mean, every food we eat either feeds inflammation or fights it, it's gonna build health or bring it down. And look, there's a lot of gray areas of like, it's doing a little bit and a little bit there, it's, it's uh -huh. negligible. But the point is, like I mentioned earlier, avoiding foods or having less of foods that make you feel lousy is not restrictive. And we need to get that out of our minds. It's like me going into Starbucks and seeing all the pastries. Like, I don't even see those things, but people are like, what do you do when you walk in and see all this? I don't even, they're like so peripheral to me. I can't even tell you what's in there. It would, be me like, it would make you feel crappy. Yeah, it would be like, right. It's like, I go in there. I know what I have. I know what I love. I know what it tastes great and makes me feel great. And I go for that stuff. So it'd be like me going and like licking the pavement up and being like, well, why don't you lick the pavement? It's like, it's so not good for me. And I, why would I ever do that? It's so strange. I would never think about doing either one of those things. I know one tastes a lot better, but the point <laughs> is, it's like when you, you can get alternatives that still taste great, mm -hmm. uh, that make you feel great too. And, you know, I, I made this assumption and maybe we, we should say it explicitly, but making comments about, your own body or your child's body as an object, not an instrument is no, like no. not, 
it doesn't help anybody. It never makes anybody think like, oh, then I should definitely be healthier and start running. Yeah. I, I mean, I have a daughter and my yeah, tell me about just never shame never works. Shame never works. Can you say Even that one more time? Shame never rambling. works. Yeah. Shame never works. You cannot shame your way into health. Even if you think you're doing it, like they're going to somehow get them. You're going to somehow get through to them. If you say it that way, it's never going to work. It's going to shove things underground. That's all you're going to do. You're going to shove things underground and they're going to hide things from you. And we don't want that as parents. Uh, So bring things to the light. And the only way that you can bring things to the light is if they know you have a safe place, you're a safe place. And even if they do things that you don't agree with, they know they won't be shamed. So that's the the only way you can keep things in the light. You can actually have a conversation about it that's age appropriate. I love that. So intuitive fasting, help me understand what it is and how you can think about it as a parent who is also trying to model healthy, lowercase intuitive, lowercase e, i.e. intuitive Mm -hmm. eating. Yeah. So having a mindful, intuitive relationship with food and fasting is, well, fasting specifically, it is so paradoxical to our culture, right? I mean, we are a nation and this is just the reality is that and I say this with love. I mean, the majority of the United States has a massive blood sugar problem. Over half of the United States has a massive blood sugar problem. So that's not normal. And just like I mentioned earlier, just because something's common doesn't necessarily mean it's normal. So I can say things with love, but still hold the truth up and say, look, this is not okay. If my mission is to get you to feel great and to be healthy and live a long, healthy life, we have to call things what that is because I love you so much. Uh, and I do, don't think it does anybody any good to to ignore or to avoid hard conversations that need to be had sometimes. And I'm talking mainly to adults here. And what I'm saying here is that metabolic inflexibility or metabolic rigidity is being your blood sugar is all over the place. You have chronic inflammation, you're hangry, you have rabbit, you have insatiable cravings, all of these things physiologically on top of the stress and the modern quick life and trauma and all that stuff, all of that stuff will mask itself mask themselves as your intuition. So when you talk about this concept of intuitive eating and like, I'm a fan of intuitive eating. Well, what the heck does that mean to the majority of the human race? It works for some small percentage of people. And that book in the nineties is good for people with disordered eating. They can start healing their relationship with food. That's wonderful. But the majority of the human race, they're actually going to be going for things that actually is going to perpetuate them feeling really horrible. That's not your intuition that's speaking. That's metabolic disorder. So what I would say is I want people to start leaning and focusing all this food stuff that I was talking about earlier, loving your body enough to feed it things that's incongruency with your physiology to actually make you feel healthier and rooted in your body and calm inflammation and balance your blood sugar and all that stuff we want. So food and fasting is a tool to gain metabolic flexibility. So when you have metabolic flexibility, you What's really can- metabolic flexibility? Yeah, it's its ability to burn yeah. sugar and fat. Most people are stuck in sugar burning mode only and they're hangry and have insatiable cravings and have blood sugar issues. Metabolic flexibility is being- the ability to burn, burn both fat and sugar, which were all born as babies being metabolically flexible. All babies produce ketones to burn the fat for fuel when they're nursed, or even if they aren't nursed, MCT oil is added to formula. So 
all babies are producing ketones for fuel to fuel their brain. And then over time, we lose that because of this, what researchers refer to as this epigenetic genetic mismatch. This like our DNA hasn't changed in 10,000 years, yet our genetics are living in this brave new world of doing things that humans have not evolved to adapt to. So we're living with this chasm between genetics and epigenetics Mm -hmm. that's driving all these chronic health problems that have been around like the genetic predispositions have been around for 10,000 years, but they're being awoken and triggered like never before in human history because of this chasm between genetics and epigenetics. So fasting in times of fasting and using food that humans would have adapted to over time as as nutrient-dense healing foods, that is decreasing that chasm between genetics and epigenetics. Humans, fasting is actually encoded in our DNA to actually go through times without eating just to repair things. And the science is now backing up with antiquity that both from an ancestral health perspective, but also from a early medicine perspective, Hippocrates, Paracelsus, they always use fasting too. Every indigenous society around the world use fasting for different spiritual and health purposes too. And nature, if you look at animals when they're sick, I mean, they go naturally, intuitively times of fasting as well. So it's a quite a therapeutic tool that's in our DNA to regain health. So that's what fasting is all about. And that's what I'm talking about with an intuitive fasting is when you're metabolically flexible, you can go longer without eating. Fasting will be intuitive and you'll be able to break that fast when you want to and go into the fast when you want to. And that's that lightness and effortlessness that I want for people to find and use both food and fasting as therapeutic tools, but also as a mindfulness tool to you learn about your body. But to answer your question about like kids and like, what do you do when you're at the table and they're they're eating and you're not, if you choose to do that. Well, I mean, the way that I advocate it in intuitive fasting is that they're all very flexible windows. So oftentimes parents will be fasting through the, just the morning time, and then they'll break their fast at lunch for one of the weeks. So every week is a different fast. Another time they're fasting throughout the day and then breaking their fast around dinner time. So if kids are in school, especially most of the meals that you're doing together, you actually are eating because we're not talking about prolonged multiple day fasts. They're just very flexible fasting windows where you're not doing any caloric restriction. You're just eating in specific windows for, for the day. So it actually works for most people around dinner, or you can move it to work with your schedule. That's so interesting. I, get, I obviously need to learn more about this. The last I really remembered was probably back in the nineties or eighties or aughts. I don't know, but that you're supposed to eat regularly Mm -hmm. throughout the day, these small bursts and that fasting slows your metabolism down. And then in the last couple of years, there's been so much information that that was maybe misinformation, but I have never gone to the deeper dive of really understanding it. And also I'm curious at what point, you know, that it sounds like that's for an adult like a full grown body, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's for a full grown body. There's places for fasting for some teenagers that have metabolic issues, but this should be done very specific for if they're dealing with a metabolic issue, they're working with a doctor and it's like, okayed by everybody. But for most part, we're talking about adults. Kids should focus on food, make it easy, make it fun, make it delicious and make it healthy. Focus on that. They don't have to be worried about the timing and stuff like this. But later on, this is a tool you can use to better how you feel. 
And you can pick it up when you want to and let set it down when you don't want it. So that's what I'm talking about intuitive fasting is it's not something that should be punitive or restrictive. It's a tool in your toolbox you can use for seasons of your life or for a time. And then you don't have to use it all the time either. So one of the things that has happened throughout this year is a lot of people feeling concerned because their kids are moving less and eating more. And I know that concern is also happening in tandem with adults going through that. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what that sensitive approach is to noticing that kids are moving less and eating more. Um, And if it's another one of those things where let them sort of understand how much better their body feels by getting outside with them and moving and really stay away from talking about the food and let that become your offering healthy mm-hmm. options. But they're constantly going, especially kids who are homeschooled for this whole year. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden there aren't these set times where you're allowed to eat and then you go back to school or you go to the playground. It's so for a lot of families, I think what's happened is nobody mentioned it. Like no one yeah. <laughs> set up that schedule and then it just kind of got away from itself yeah. in the same way that screen time has been like, well, I don't have time to deal with this. And it's just been yeah. a free for all. So, I mean, the reality is, look, we have unprecedented times over the past year where everybody's schedule was changed very dramatically, very short period of time, and it was forced upon everybody. So give everybody a big grace, big understanding that this is not like something anybody planned, right? So just give yourself grace on that. But moving forward, like you said, if this is a new normal to some degree, and I know things are opening up in certain areas and kids are going back to school in some areas, I know that, but still things are a little bit weird. And I think it's important to when things aren't their traditional schedule to create a schedule that works for your family. So I I do feel like that you're right when everything's bleeding into everything and there's no structure. That's part of the reason why school really works for kids is because it's structured. And even though I know it's a lot more difficult with you people working and being a homeschool teacher, basically, uh, at least part of the week is just to create as much schedule as you can. So it's structured um, that works for you. Uh, But that's the cool thing is that because it is under your roof, you can make it work for you. It doesn't have to be the same school schedule, but I think it should be parameters to be effective so kids can feel confident. They can feel like there's a rhythm to their day and it's just not just shooting in the dark and everything's kind of crazy. I, we got it for a while. It was, it was, that's the way it was for most people. But I think now you need to find a rhythm that works for you and be consistent with that because kids need that. And I, I think that, yeah, that's what I would say for that. And, and just realize that um, ultimately do the best you can with where you're at in, in your life. And, and I, I don't feel like shaming yourself as a parent is going to do you any good. So just start, start the, tomorrow's a new day and start, start up uh, the next day. I love everything that you've said about grace and shaming. And it's so important and it goes way further than, I mean, it does infiltrate mental and physical health so deeply. So normally I do a listener Q&A, but I pulled a couple of questions that were related to nutrition for you. Cool. (laughs) So this question is for my five-year-old, food is a power play. He's gotten very picky. So in general, trying new things is hard. My question is, do I give in and let him have butter pasta 
even if I'm serving a perfectly normal dinner to the rest of my family, or do I just serve him what we are having? And if he chooses not to eat it, just let it go. Yeah. I think that's a very personal thing, depending on the kid and where he's at and the age and all that stuff. I guess you said five years old, right? So, I mean, the reality is we know our kids as parents, I would say the truth is probably somewhere in the middle in the sense of the buttered noodles get better alternatives for those, even though it's not going to be the healthiest thing in the world because it's still noodles and butter, but maybe go for a gluten-free pasta or like a rice pasta or try the zucchini noodles. Like I mentioned, even better, you can get vegetables in and they're very similar to noodles or spaghetti squash uh, that look, I know it won't work for every kid because they're very savvy. And what the heck is this mom? This is not noodles, but some kids will, some kids will be okay with it. And, or get even like an almond flour noodles, like you can go completely grain free. That's like not the wheat. And then instead of regular old butter, gets like grass fed Kerrygold butter or ghee, clarified ghee, and maybe put some olive oil on that too, to get some polyphenol rich olive oil, where it's still a better alternative to that. And then bring the, the perfectly good meal that you're saying that you're having too, and introduce them to have a small amount of that. And then just at least bring it in, in their life to some degree. But I do think for certain kids and certain families, it's still fine to say, this is what we're having. And it won't take very long for them to realize that they will have it if they, if they, you know what I mean? So it's okay to get some pushback and to push into it because it's something new. Adults aren't good at doing things new. It's kids aren't good at it either sometimes. So it's a bit of the middle. Yeah. And I would only just add, if you are going to, instead of doing it after the request, like, no, I'm not eating this, make me pasta. So you're a short order cook just preemptively finding the alternative and putting it there as one among the other options. And if alternatives don't work, you know, my kids only had gluten free pasta and almond flour, like all the different kinds. And then I don't know what happened. You know, they got a little bit older and started to realize that there were other kinds of pastas and they would go to other people's houses. And then they were totally disgusted by all of the pasta that I offered. And I was like, (laughs) but it was also what they were used to. And so it just became like, well, this is what we're having. And when you go to their house, you'll have the good kind of pasta because this is just what the jam is. But I would say they weren't highly sensitive. The colors, tastes, and kinds of foods were not an issue for them. So I think for, you're right, for some kids, it sounds like you had one of those kids that was more sensitive to the different tastes. but I don't love the short order cook idea. So I no, do like yeah. put it all there. And then there's something that they eat and finding those alternatives and taste testing them seems great. I, I kind of stopped doing that. I think there is a little bit of giving up that this is inspiring me to not do, which is just eh, now they're getting too old for me to deal with this, which is not true. Mm-mm, no. Okay. Here's another one. I feel like food should not be a negotiation, but I find myself doing it. My kids are of normal height and weight. They have zero issues. So they are getting what they need. But for some reason, I just keep finding this negotiation. My question is, is negotiating over food a bad habit? Not necessarily, because I like back to my earlier advice to consider is getting them involved, involved. I think that it could be age appropriate. Ultimately, you can make the final decision on it. But I don't think that it's a bad idea to actually get them 
say out of these things, like maybe give them three or four choices, which ones do you like out of this? So that way they're not like, yes, I want this junk food. And like, that's, uh-huh. they're only negotiating on things that you know are good for them. Or maybe you have in the house that you, this is what you're preparing, but still give them some agency over like, no, I like this one over that. So they yeah. can feel more collaborative and be involved in the cooking process if that's possible. Wonderful. Okay. Last one. I'm a bit confused with milk. I know the pediatricians push cow's milk. I think it's a little strange to give kids cow's milk personally, but my children will drink milk rather than even eat their calories. I'm not sure if that's okay. So every kid's different. This is bio-individuality. Every adult's different when it comes to milk. Um, Some people can handle milk. Some people can't. Uh, It definitely is a common allergen and a common irritant for people that have dairy sensitivities or lactose intolerances, whether it's immune-mediated or not, some inflammatory or digestive problem with many kids. So you can get better alternatives too. So it's not all or nothing. You can have a grass-fed organic A2 milk, which is the beta A2 casein, which is the more OG and ancient subtype of the dairy protein, because we've crossbred cows and it's like completely different. The most of the cow milk in the West is beta A1 casein. There's this genetic epigenetic mismatch that I mentioned earlier, this evolutionary mismatch that our body's drinking this dairy and then over-consuming it too. I agree with that. We're drinking more of it And it's a completely different casein than our genome would have adapted to. So we're getting all these inflammatory problems and it's creating a whole host of different inflammatory issues. That's why many people do well with the A2 stuff or the grass-fed stuff because it's more in alignment with their biochemistry. So maybe it's getting better alternatives. You're going to pay more for it, but it's going to be better for your health. And that's worth it for many families. Or get another alternative. I mean, there's goat's milk as well, which is less inflammatory. Or... I don't eat dairy really. So I, I will have like an almond milk or some sort of what a cashew milk, something like that, or um, coconut milk. So I'll have that instead of, and we have both in the house, you know, mm-hmm. and you can they go between the two of those. I think that's fine. A better cow's milk option that's grass-fed organic, the A2, or some sort of alternative that, you know, one of those nut milks. That's so helpful. Okay, what do you, this is my question. I'm cheating. But um, what do you do on Halloween? What do you do with Halloween? Just totally random, but I was just yeah. thinking. I'm oh, sure. yeah. I'm it's, so curious. Yeah, so this, we, they go, kids go out uh, and do the normal thing. They get massive bags of it because it's just the tradition of it. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like they're doing the normal stuff of grabbing the candy. We take it back to the house. They can pick out a very small amount of what they can have. And then we honestly probably throw, I think we throw it away. Or if it's like a friend that really wants it and we still give a warning, we don't recommend this for anybody. (laughs) It's not good for anybody that we love. No, don't please. But they're adults, they can make that decision. But uh, yeah, for kids, they can have a handful of things. And then we get all those healthier candy options and they have more of those. They have like a couple bags of each of those. So we're basically trading it in. It's like, you're getting the stuff that's like the conventional junk stuff. And then mm-hmm. here's like a better alternative. You can have that instead. And they, it's the stuff they really like. Like it's a candy that they really, really enjoy. Like the smart sweets. Have you heard? I of was smart? just going to ask you about smart yeah. sweets. I, I think smart sweets are great. And I was just curious from your perspective, are smart sweets like, look, I have a sweet tooth. I want to have a little candy. It's yeah. made better. 
Is like, that okay? So much better. It's so much oh, better. It's great. allulose. It's low. It's not going to impact gl- uh, the microbiome in the same way. It's not going to impact insulin and blood sugar the same way. It's not going to be as inflammatory. I mean, the simple ingredients. So, and I have no connection to Smart Sweets financially at all. I just they are doing <laughs> smart things, and I recommend it for my kids. And I also recommend it for my patients that are asked that question too. And Lily's is another good brand. Like they are doing better alternatives for stuff. That's low sugar, better ingredients. It's not like you're having a plate of these foods as your like your main meal, but like (laughs) Halloween or when you want to have like a movie night with your kids, like that's the stuff we should be supporting. We should be supporting businesses that are actually helping us out as a human race, (laughs) not, not taking years off of our life at the end of the day. I love that. Well, how can people learn more about, like, I am now so interested. Well, I guess you can listen to your podcast. Yeah. The Art of Being Well. It's weird. The same company, Dear Media. Uh, so yeah, The Art of Being Well. They can order Intuitive Fasting, all the other books. Uh, everything's at drwillcole.com. The telehealth Clinic is all there too to get information about that. Thank you. I appreciate it. 